we see mum as the chief financial officer of the household. Uh, she's making a lot of the calls. You might see her partner out doing some of the negotiations, but that decision-making is that is actually all happening at home behind closed doors where mum is, is very forthright in making her views known. So it, it's critical that brands are looking at ways of developing a relationship with her. Welcome to Top of Mind, a show where we speak with top marketers, creators, and leaders who are shaping the culture around us. I'm Stuart Hillhouse, and I believe that through great marketing, you can earn the privilege of occupying a tiny sliver of your customer's already overflowing brain. Join me today as we learn what it takes to become top of mind. You ever heard of the marketing term jobs to be done. It gets thrown around here and there uh, as a marketing framework to ensure that you're supporting your prospects with the job that they have to get done. But there is a job that gets done every single day by millions of people without a whole lot of recognition. Depending on where you are in the world, this job takes on many different names. But I am, of course, referring to motherhood. My next guest is the founder of Marketing to Mums, a marketing and research consultancy based in Melbourne, Australia. She is a marketing strategist, best-selling author, speaker, and business advisor who specializes in businesses and owners, how to sell more effectively to the world's most powerful consumer, mums. She has conducted prolific research into mother's behaviors and shares her findings in her two books, Marketing to Mums and the Mother of All Opportunities, which launched last October. An award-winning businesswoman and mother of three, my guest is a sought-after award-winning international speaker and regular contributor to business media. Joining me live today, Katrina McCarter. Thanks so much for joining me, Katrina. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Stuart. It's lovely to be on the show. You've accomplished uh, a lot in a very niche space, but it's it's weird to call it niche because it's it's such a massive group of people who are mothers. Yeah, absolutely. And mums around the world are responsible for 80% of consumer spending. So they're incredibly powerful in terms of and very attractive shoppers because they're not just buying for themselves. Mm -hmm. They're buying for their partners. They're buying for their kids. And as um, their parents age, they also start to buy you know, take responsibility for their parents as well. So sometimes we find mothers are controlling three generations of spend. Wow, that's really that's a really profound way of putting it. That they're they're influencing, or they are influenced to buy three different layers of products that are all that that they may not even ever use. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the really interesting pieces of research uh, that I've come across in recent years is that when a woman becomes a mother, she's eight times more likely to talk about brands. So she suddenly activates and becomes this micro-influencer in her in her own right, uh, talking about her experiences, whether they be positive or negative. So even if you don't necessarily believe that you target mums, you want to make sure that you've got, that mums think really positively about your business and your brand because she's going to have an opinion on it that she is out there sharing. 
Tell me a little bit about your research. How how do you go about observing and and recording uh, some of these these phenomenal stats? Yeah, look, great great question, Stuart. I've I'm the mother of three teenagers, so I've got a thirteen, a fifteen, and a seventeen year old. So Gen Z is my thing in <laughs> terms of I've I've got some living subjects at home, and they expose me to certainly around social media. My seventeen year old daughter is a micro influencer here in Australia in her own right, so she certainly keeps me up to date with new technologies and and new social media platforms. Um, that they like to use. But in terms of my research, I undertake three research projects a year. I'm really wanting to map the changing behaviours of mothers. I typically do quantitative research through surveys in large mum um, online communities, uh, but I also do quite a lot of uh, qual work as well where I'm interviewing and speaking with mothers. So I will pick three subjects each year that I look at. At the moment, we kick off a new research project tomorrow morning where we're actually having a look here in Australia at the impact of COVID-19 on mum's shopping behaviour in coming months because I'm really trying to equip my clients to ensure that they're ready and that they've got a new uh, revised marketing strategy uh, going forward as restrictions here ease in Australia. So that's kind of one of them. One of the other ones we've done recently is looking at tech first mothers. And they're those mothers that are looking to technology first and foremost to solve their problems. And we've done a really interesting one looking at the state of motherhood and about how supported mothers feel at a government level, at an organisation level, at a brand level. I pick off different things and sometimes I'll pick industries. So I've done a big one in financial services and also in the automotive category because automotive is an area that I'm really interested in because I think that there are so many opportunities there to to improve things. What I find interesting about that is it's it's a segment of people, but they consume a spectrum of things. It's not like we're targeting just financial people because that's their only worldview. It's we're talking about a subset of people interested in financial services. Yeah, look, absolutely. Well, we see mum as the chief financial officer of the household. Uh, she's making a lot of the calls. You might see her partner, dad out doing some of the negotiations, but that decision making is that is actually all happening at home behind closed doors where mum is, is very forthright in making her views known. So it, it's critical that financial service brands are looking at ways of developing a relationship with her behind the scenes. One of the stats that really stood out to me in your research was that of Australian mothers, 63% felt that brands and advertisers don't understand them. Can you speak to what you mean by understand? Yeah, great question. So I did that. That was my very first research piece. So I launched Marketing to Mums in late 2015 after having my first business, which was actually an online shopping website for mums. And I had a community of 150,000 mums. And what I was really noticing was that the mums were really unhappy with the way brands were communicating with them. But I also, I was a publisher, so I'd received this copy from brands and I could see that they just had no idea on how to convert mum to 
a sale and they'd give me this copy and I'd go, that's just not going to land. That's not going to be effective. I wanted some data behind it. I've got a corporate background out of the grocery industry and I knew that stats and data was really important. So I went out and put a survey out to my mums and was expecting about three or 400 to respond. I was actually overwhelmed. We had more than 1,800 mums that wanted their voice to be heard. And that was super loud and clear that brands and businesses just don't understand who they are and what they mean by so 63% believe that brands um, and businesses don't understand them what they mean by that is that they just don't know how to communicate with them they're not pitching correctly and as a result the very people that brands are often trying to attract they're actually repelling so Whilst this statistic is really massive, almost two-thirds of mums, you know, feeling misunderstood, it's actually an amazing opportunity for brands who can get this right. So all my work really focuses in on helping businesses clearly identify who their most profitable segment of the mum market is, build that strategy just around that segment as opposed to trying to reach your mums and really getting some conversions. Mums are happier because they feel like they're finally being understood and brands and organisations are certainly happier because they're driving their sales and profit. So to me, I see it as a real win-win outcome. How do you identify the, the profitable segments? Like what, what's, what's too wide and what's too narrow when it comes to that first step of identifying wh- where you should spend your effort? Yeah, really good question. We see uh, certainly generational, uh, generationally there are really key differences between mums in terms of their communication preferences. So, for instance, with a millennial mum, we know that she's far more about having seeking out a shared experience with her child. It's far more about enrich. the communication needs to be around enriching that bond um, and relationship, in, enriching that relationship with the child. But we know that with Generation X mothers, and I am generalizing here, so every community is different, I will say. But as a generalization, we'd say Gen X mums are more interested in about securing a bit of me time. So, a, a classic example is I was doing work with some indoor play centers, so indoor play activity centers uh, for children. And we've, we did a research project and we found half, half the venues attracted a millennial mother, and half the, half the venues attracted attracted a gen ex-mother. Now, we knew that we needed to have a different strategy in terms of our communication. So at a local level, we spoke to all the millennial venues about the importance of play and enrich and having that time to um, have fun together with your child and, and improve your bond. But for those Gen X stores, we spoke about the comfy couches, the free Wi-Fi, the great coffee. You know, it was a completely different communication strategy. So in terms of first identifying uh, who that most profitable segment is. A lot of that is based on my third-party research at Marketing to Mums, but I also run an in-depth quantitative survey of their existing customer base and we really develop a profile but not just the profile we want to understand why they choose that particular business over every other player in the market because what that does is it identifies the core points of difference from the customer's point of view and once we understand that our whole communication strategy is about amplifying those differences 
because as I tell my kids all the time, um, and it's the same in business, it's our differences that make us special. Like don't amplify your same, same aspects. You want to really amplify your points of difference that are valued by your mothers. Mm-hmm. And it seems it seems so obvious when you say it out loud, but uh, a woman of the same psychographics, demographics, if they were side by side and one has a child and one does not, they will have such ver- differences in what they respond to. Yeah, I, th- I think in terms of if you're talking about someone who is a woman who doesn't have a child and a woman who does have a child, what we see is it's there are far more brands trying to target mum. And so she is overwhelmed with with more marketing messages. She's also more time poor and often quite quite a bit more distracted and she's buying for more people. Mm-hmm. So there, there are some key differences as well that we need to acknowledge. I really like that term, time poor. I never heard that before. Oh, very time poor. <laughs> <laughs> what we're seeing is a massive drive to a lot of mothers are now moving into starting up their own businesses now. Mm-hmm. So uh, certainly here in Australia, and I know that it's the same in the US, I'm not sure about the, um, the Canadian figures, over the past more than a decade here in Australia, we've seen that women are entering business at almost three times the rate of men. And they're doing that because they're looking for more meaningful work. The world becomes a whole lot bigger after you have a, have a child. There's kind of that penny drop moment where you go, oh, this is what this is what it's all about. And we also find that they're seeking more flexible work conditions, so which is often not, not facilitated by their employer. So they often will move into their, their own business. So we're seeing this huge number um, of women now participating in the workforce that's in record numbers around the globe as well. But their role as a mother and their domestic duties haven't yet decreased um, enough. So what we often hear is that mothers will have up to four hours kind of unpaid work when they get home from from their job, their paying job, where they're sorting out the kids' activities for the next day, childcare, play dates, all sorts of things that can go on for up to about four hours. And that ability to start businesses, it's influenced by the flexibility that it offers them, but it's also the technology that is now possible. It's possible for anyone, not just mothers, but anyone to start a business from a laptop. You mentioned tech first mothers. And I think that's just a really interesting, a really interesting thing to consider that this is the first generation ever of women who have grown up as digital natives. They've had, they've had electronics their entire life. They've probably had a Facebook account since they were 13. And now they are have children and they're, they've been influenced in that way. How does that play into things as well? Yeah, look, great question, Stuart. We see this really fast adoption of new technologies amongst these tech-first mothers. They are on the forefront of new technology. In our research, we've seen 99% have a smartphone, like that's just a given. It, it is always within arm's length. 
Uh, they're picking it up well, well into the hundreds of times a day. There is no idle moments. You are picking up your phone. But it goes far beyond that. We're seeing a lot of wearable technologies. They're certainly interested in other technologies that will improve their life experience. And in the last five years, we have seen an explosion in an area called Femtech. And they're really uh, technology-based um, health solutions um, that are being created by women and using that female lens to solve you know life of some some existing problems that women have experienced for years and in the last five years we've really seen that explode too so they're certainly interested in the femtech sector but more so if we talk more broadly their expectations from brands have skyrocketed they expect and they really demand a seamless experience digital experience from brands and they also expect them to be far more accessible through digital means 24-7. And, and this presents both um, a complexity but also a really great opportunity for brands because they can be with their shoppers, with these tech-first mums in a way that they've never been before. So there's a real opportunity to build relationship and really build that loyalty. Yeah, the, the always-on commerce platform just makes so much sense because you don't know when you're going to need that that next product to to clean up a mess or to soothe someone or yourself and and when you say it like that you've got your cell phone you've got your your wearables have you looked at uh, smart speakers at all i guess that kind of encompasses both of them right Absolutely. I'm glad you raised that. I am a massive person around voice search. Mm. Um, I think that over the next 10 years, if you want to really get serious about the mum market, you need to be having a look at voice marketing. And that and that's really based around the smart speaker. I know in the States, there's uh, about 24% of households or uh, family households um, have got a smart speaker in the house. We see here in Australia, we're about 23%. Unlike the US, we're not Amazon-based, we're more Google-based, so the Google Home is is uh, far more prevalent. What we did find, though, amongst our, te- uh, our tech-first mums was that 19% were planning on, were intending to buy a smart speaker um, within three months of our survey, which was done late last year. So um, we are expecting that the smart speaker adoption in households here in Australia is really skyrocketing right now. Um, and I work fairly closely with with a voice agency, and I, I, I speak to them all the time. At like, and I speak to the CEO all the time, and we always talk about now's the time to be experimenting with voice to really work it out, so that when it really becomes uh, more mainstream here, particularly in Australia, that that brands know what they're doing and that they can run really, really effective campaigns. And just to put that in a bit of context, uh, here in Australia, we're a little bit behind both Canada and the US in terms of our voice um, work. But um, I do think that that will change pretty quickly. But in terms of if you were targeting a tech first mum, I would certainly be having a look at at voice to be, you know, the smart speaker skill to be one of those elements. For me, it's still uh, really important to have your social media covered. These people are very, very active users of social media and they love also, one thing that I would say about them is uh, I know that we all love Netflix, but a tech first mum 
really loves Netflix and what she loves about it is just the fact that it's taken the time to give her curated content. It's got an idea based on on what she's watched before, what she's going to like moving forward. And that to her is is a big plus because at the end of the day, she's pretty tired and to be able to uh, watch things on demand that don't have ads, so they're really big on ad blockers, using ad blockers, tech first mothers, Mm. is really appealing to her. So in terms of advertising then, you'd want your advertising to be be embedded within your programming or your social media or or whatever channel you're trying to get to them rather than it being a jarring cut in the TV show, advertise Absolutely. and then back, they would much prefer a, let's, let's use podcasting as an example, they would much prefer the host to read an ad with her own emphasis on why she enjoys the product and how it worked in her life. And it would have much more of an effect than just a, all of a sudden, the worst thing you probably do is like a man's voice come in and start yelling about motherhood, right? Absolutely. Look, what we are seeing is uh, if we're talking overall about the mother market is that they are increasingly rejecting corporate sales message. This very jarring push um, marketing where you're pushing out your marketing messages is is reducing in its impact quite significantly. They do find it very jarring. It is far more a softly, softly approach with mothers. It's about building a relationship first. We talk about seven or eight touch points, interactions that she needs to have with your brand before she's likely um, to, to purchase. So it's really about mapping that out. I will say even with Tech First Mums, the human to human side is really, really important to her. Your brand story the reason what your brand is about is really compelling to her. So I talk about the real importance of story selling as opposed to, you know, telling me to buy your product. Tell me the story of someone else who's bought your product and what their their experience was working with it um, or you using your product. So I call that story selling and it's incredibly important with mothers. The other aspect um, that you touched on in, in your opening statement there, Stuart, was the importance of people speaking favourably about your brand. We have done some studies and I've repeated it a couple of times now because I was really surprised with the outcome. What we've found is that the number one influence over mothers is not actually a mum-to-mum verbal recommendation. It's actually a written testimonial. So this has even surprised me who, you know, considers herself an expert and authority in the space and we keep seeing this come up. So your written testimonials are incredibly important and I think that businesses need to have a testimonial strategy. You know, what are you doing to actually seek out your testimonials and how are you making them accessible for prospective mums who might be interested in your products to find them because they're really going to sway her decision. That's super interesting. What what is a testimonial method that you've seen or, or you're interested in right now? 
Well, the first thing that I want to find out is how they've actually discovered the business. So I'll go back to my research study around identifying the most profitable segment of the mum market for that particular business. Now, through that research project that I undertake, I also have a clear understanding of exactly how they discovered the brand uh, or the business or the product. And so I, I would leverage I would leverage that to decide whether I was seeking Google reviews or whether I was seeking Facebook reviews or whether I just or whether I wanted them through on LinkedIn if I was in the B2B space. So it's about first understanding where the where the testimonials are going to have the most credibility and, and are going to be most visible to my ideal market. So that's the first thing. Once I understand that, if it's if it's Google, I need to have a strategy around encouraging people to leave a Google review. So I've decided I'm chasing Google reviews. And that also has some benefits for me because I know as a brand that if I have more than 150 Google reviews, I can use an ad extension when I'm running Google ads that will actually show my reviews and my ratings. So that that's certainly a positive for me. I then need to work out at which stage of the customer journey is the right time, is the optimal time to be asking for that testimonial. And that really comes at the peak of, I guess, the delivery experience or yeah, whatever that is. So I need to map that out and I need to then know and have that automated in my process that I'm asking for that testimonial at that time because that's when I'm going to yield the best testimonial. So yeah, it becomes part of that. And then um, often as part of my research project I'm eliciting those testimonials so I can go back to a brand and they can have you know a couple of hundred testimonials and I get them to put them on a graphic on a branded graphic that they can then be sharing through their social media channels at least once or twice a week and they'll have a couple of years worth just out of one research project so yeah so I'm powerful Yeah, really, really powerful. But you always, I recommend that you have your testimonials, that you're not asking for them on email because then they're not in a public viewable place. You want them to go to somewhere like LinkedIn. You want them to go to Google. You want them to go on your Facebook page. So they're visible to others, but then you can also use them in other marketing materials. I always say to my clients, don't put out a marketing material at all without a testimonial on it because they're that influential. Wow. That's a huge insight. Can you can you speak to incentives at all? Is that something you've ever looked into as a form of maybe getting testimonials but even like incentivizing the the network effect that mothers can create by talking about your product because they had a great experience or feel like they owe it to the brand to talk about them because they received something extra? Well, it's an interesting topic because if you want a brand advocate, so someone that's out there recommending you all the time, you don't really want to have a financial arrangement with them because it makes it feel really quite commercial, but you do want to encourage their behaviour. So typically what I would recommend is a uh, what I call a surprise and delight strategy is utilised. And that is after someone might leave you a review, you surprise and delight them 
them with a gift of some kind, it's unexpected and it says and it encourages more of that kind of behaviour. It just says, hey, you know, it's very personalised, so it's written from the business owner if you're a smaller business and just saying, hey, I just wanted to reach out and thank you so much, Suzanne, for that beautiful review that you left for us on, on Google. They're so important to us and I just wanted to acknowledge it and as a small gesture, you know, please accept this, da 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 Now, they love it because someone's actually noticed that they've done something really nice, so they're acknowledged. Mothers are not acknowledged enough. So for them to be, you know, to be acknowledged, they, they really receive that very well, very positively, and it encourages them to continue that behaviour. So, you know, similarly, if Susanna were to refer a client into, into us and, you know, when as part of the onboarding process, you would ask how they discovered you and they'd say, oh, my friend Susanna, you reach out to Susanna, send her a little gift and just say, hey, listen, I just wanted to take the time to thank you so much for for referring over, you know, Deborah into, into the business. So, yeah, it's certainly a, a, that surprise and delight element I find is far more effective rather than leave us a review and we'll give you $50 or yeah. something like that. I don't think that that presents very well for prospective customers as well if they're seeing that other than the public domain. Can you touch on acknowledgement? You mentioned that in during talking about the, the delight what kind of acknowledgement do mothers look for and, and, and why do they feel like they're under-acknowledged? Well, when you have a look at that research, you know, where 63% of mums feel that brands don't understand them, their biggest gripe in that research was that brands stereotype them. They don't depict their real life. So they really feel like there's a disconnect between advertising and their reality. So when a brand actually acknowledges, hey, family structures have changed, we've got same-sex parents, there's a lot of uh, diversity in couples as well, when those kind of things start to be depicted in advertising, what it says to that to that mum is that ah, this brand gets me. They really understand uh, who I am and, and what, what the landscape is like. They are far more likely to support that brand and purchase from, from that brand. I find that mothers are the most misunderstood, misrepresented and undervalued consumer segment that exists. And that blows me away given the power they have in terms of their spending. And I think that, you know, when I, it doesn't matter what size of a business I work with, whether that's a a solopreneur or whether that's a big corporate, when I go in there, I see the same three mistakes. They're um, targeting way too broadly. They're trying to be all things to all mums and it just falls flat because there's so much diversity within there. Uh, The second thing that I I see is they just don't understand their consumer, their, their mum deeply enough. You know, they really don't, they'll know her superficially, but they don't understand her deeply enough. And as a result of targeting too broadly and not understanding them deeply enough, credibility becomes a major issue for them amongst mums. And, you know, they develop trust issues and it's why so many brands aren't trusted. So I think that there is so much to be gained by deeply understanding who you're, by, you know, clearly identifying who your mum is and then really under taking the time to understand her. I've seen great campaigns done uh, both here in Australia and overseas uh, where they've done a whole campaign and it's purely just to say to mum, hey, I get you. 
I understand you. And a classic one is Yo Play in the US. They did a big mum on campaign and it was all about mums feeling judged and because it's not enough to identify who your most profitable mum is, your next job is to demonstrate to her that you understand her. That's what she wants to see. So this whole TV commercial campaign was purely around communicating to mums, hey, we get you. We understand you feel judged every moment of the day for your choices. It was perfect. It was a great relationship builder. Mm -hmm. That's what um, brands need to be looking at, how they're building deeper relationships. And it goes back to your early point, that sounds like a very soft a very soft sell. That sounds like uh, story selling. They're talking about a story, but just so happens that every person in this 30 second ad had a, had a yogurt in their hand. So yeah. which, which yogurt do you think she's going to reach for? Well, it taught, yeah. I mean, I mean, it goes on. It, I mean, it talks about her judgment at the very end. You hear about yo- yogurt. Yeah. We don't hear about yogurt in, in all the, you know, in the majority of the, of the campaign. The yogurt is only talked about towards, towards the end, but it's a great relationship build. And just coming back to that story selling, the most important story a business has is their own story. So I always say your own story is powerful and influential. Use it. So tell us, you know, who you are, why you've started this business. Mums want to see that passion that you have for what you do because what she's doing in reading all of that is she's assessing whether that your values are aligned with hers. That's what's happening at a subconscious level. So I see um, your brand story. Um, the reason you're in business is probably the most powerful and lowest cost way to develop a relationship with mothers. Mm. So just to, before we start wrapping things up, I'd really like to understand what the the future, we've made such great points here of why this is an important segment to consider. So now what does the future look like both in terms of the opportunity of things they're going to need to buy, but then also the opportunities now available to us as a company that wants to market to mums. Okay. Well, listen, over the next decade, we're going to see a massive shift take place. So currently all the new births are, are predominantly happening to millennial mothers. We are going to see that shift down to Gen Z mothers soon. So we're going to see this, our mothers of tomorrow arrive and their needs are entirely different to what the millennial mothers of today are asking for. So we are going to need as business owners and marketers to completely change our strategies. There needs to be a whole lot of time invested in understanding what Gen Z, the mothers of tomorrow, look like. They're certainly arriving over in the US already where mothers, women tend to have their first child at 25 there. Here in Australia, it's 31. So we've got an extra few years to kind of to kind of learn. Uh, and I think uh, Canada sits somewhere in, in between that for, for first-time mothers. So I think that there's a lot of new learnings that need to be made around the new generation of mothers that are, that are coming through. I think that there is going to be new needs with that. One of the key things that we know in terms of a difference between millennials and Gen Z is their need for privacy. So getting hold of information and personal data is going to become a lot harder. Mm. 
So there's going to be a lot more focus on that relationship build um, than what we've than what we've currently got. So that a lot of these things are going to become even more important. But there's going to be new technologies. There will be shifts in terms of social media channels as well that mm-hmm. that businesses need to start getting their heads around. Yeah, absolutely. The the social media channel shift is going to be so fascinating for everyone because again, first time we're going through a whole generation and I don't mean generation as in humans, but literally generation of a technology platform reaching maturity, capping out, having gotten as many people as possible to to register for it across the world and now it's entered maturity, lost its hype cycle and you've got new ones coming in that learned from the the best at the time and are just standing on the shoulders of giants taking all the best parts but applying it to the new world yeah i think it's going to be interesting i, I will ha- having said all of that all our research really blows in the face of that and actually says that facebook is actually remaining the number one favorite platform of all australian mothers doesn't matter what their age is so I know that, that that information, that research really surprises a lot of brands when they think that Instagram is, you know, so much more established, particularly amongst millennial mums. Certainly there's a smaller gap, but we still see that Facebook is that preferred platform in terms of receiving brand communications. They had the big privacy scandal uh, a few years back. What's been interesting to us is that uh, we watched all of that, we monitored all of that to see how mums would react. And what we saw, there was there was certainly a segment of mothers that said, we're going off to look for a different platform. You know, we want to look after our privacy. But what we saw over the coming kind of couple of months was that they couldn't find that other other social media platform that had all their friends on you know really wasn't something else wasn't gaining traction for them so whilst we've seen drop off on Facebook in other segments haven't really seen that in the mum segment they've stayed quite 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 very very much the same just a question about that is that because of a kind of mums group that they create with others yeah, really good. A great thing to tap on is the closed Facebook group. So thank you very much for raising it, Stuart. What we have found when we first did our first research project back in 2016 was that 66% of mums belonged to a closed Facebook group. Late last year, that had jumped to 80%. So those closed Facebook groups are places where mums feel really safe. They're, a lot of them are really quite established as well. So there might be, you know, over 100,000 mothers and it can be where they can go and ask for advice, where they know that there's not a whole lot of advertising. So to me, they represent an enormous opportunity for brands who can really um, work well with an administrator of those groups to produce value-added and co-create some content that's not salesy. And I've had some great results for clients doing that, actually. Yeah, that's a great point. Katrina, you've, you've changed my life for the better with, with this conversation. That, that's such, all, everything you said was new to me. So I really appreciate you taking the time and educating me on such an important topic that, frankly, I didn't, I didn't even ever consider. Look, a real pleasure. I appreciate having the opportunity uh, to speak to yourself and also your community. I can talk about mothers for hours. <laughs> so please reach out to Katrina. LinkedIn is the best place to, to get in touch with you. Is that right? 
Yeah, look, I would go to my personal profile on LinkedIn, which is Katrina with a K and Makata, which is M-C-C-A-R-T-E-R. Awesome. And you can also find her on marketingtomums.com.au. And that's where you can grab your books as well. So much information there. Yeah, absolutely. Overseas, you probably need to uh, head to Amazon, but uh, there's two books there, Marketing to Mums, which is more for the small business owner that I wrote back in 2016. And my latest book really talks about the next 10 years and that's more for larger businesses, but still has a lot of value for small business owners. And that's called The Mother of All Opportunities. That's maybe one of the best book titles I've heard in a long time. That's so good. Thank you so much, Katrina. If you enjoyed anything that you just heard, then you're going to absolutely love what I'm about to tell you. If you go online to topofmind.substack.com and put in your email, you can get access to exclusive behind-the-scenes content inspired by this show. So there's going to be candid audio recordings that aren't going to be available anywhere else, not on Spotify, not on Apple, nowhere else except on topofmind.substack.com. But that's not it. It's also a platform where I can share written content, videos, links, and anything else that I come across directly with you. You're going to get access to it right away. You're going to get access to the whole library of archived posts. And you're also going to be the first to be notified when a new episode of Top of Mind comes out. So head on over to topofmind.substack.com. See you there. If you enjoyed anything that you just heard, you're going to absolutely love what I'm about to tell you. If you go online to stuarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button, you'll be added to an email list where I share exclusive content related to this show. This is where I'm going to share my key takeaways from each episode, including my highlights, top of mind takeaways, and next steps that you can do to put this advice to action. I also share some real life breakdowns of marketing campaigns that I'm seeing around and how I'm using it in my work. So head on over to stuarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button to get your first email. Looking forward to seeing you there.